You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. It is another Wednesday, October 20th, and we are coming up on Maryland football's seventh game of the season. And it's been an exciting season so far. We're coming fresh off the bye week, and we're here again to talk about how Maryland football is doing, and we're going to project the upcoming matchup. So Dylan Spilko, Lauren Roche, Sam Ostry here for all the Maryland football information. Some updates about the team this week. Maryland, once again, 4-2 and two coming off that bye. Minnesota on Saturday. We will get to a preview of that matchup soon. But first, a little team updates. Deshaun Jones is probably the biggest information coming out of Tuesday's media session. He is out for the year with season-ending surgery, as well as Darrell Nachami. He's also had season-ending surgery. He's also done for the year. And Brandon Jennings still not listed on the Jeff chart. And head coach Mike Loxley also said that Jacorian Bennett and Kenny Bennett are game-time decisions. They have some, a pair of hamstring injuries. And Loxley said he's hopeful they'll play. So, first of all, hello, everybody. And Maryland football is dealing with a lot of injuries at the current moment. Yeah, they are. And that's going to be the big thing heading into the rest of the season and for the current week. Um, when they were heading into the bye, Coach Loxley said I mean, the bye came to perfect time because they were dealing with a ton of injuries. Obviously, a few of those are season ending. So after this bye week, it's not going to help them too much. But hopefully their cornerback situations and uh, Jacorian and Kenny Bennett, can, can they can play and they can get right um, from a health perspective. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, the injuries are piling up and we're really you're going to find out how deep this team is in the coming weeks. Yeah. yeah and I think, sorry, no, I was going to say, I just think that specifically we'll see what this wide receiver room can do. This was a room that we were talking about, you know, three weeks ago was incredibly deep four weeks ago, deepest room, most, one of the most talented rooms in the country, et cetera, et cetera. And now you're looking at it and, you know, Dante Demas, who's was number one receiver out for the season against Iowa now, Jayshon Jones, who's starting to get more, was anticipated he would be getting more targets with the loss of Dante Dimas. Also out, we're going to see a lot of players, hopefully, um, for Maryland's sake, kind of explode in these new positions and kind of try out different things. Right. So Maryland's dealing with a ton of injuries right now, and obviously that impacted the two games against Iowa and Ohio State, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And Maryland only combined for 31 points on the offensive side of the ball in those two games. So obviously the injuries are not looking great for Maryland. But for now, let's just look at the Jayshon Jones injury. So when we did the podcast last week, we knew that Jayshon Jones's injury didn't look too good considering that he was coming off a torn ACL in 2019. He's obviously had a, a past history of injuries. And now he got hurt again. And we finally got confirmed that he's out for the end of the year. So that creates kind of a conundrum with this entire Maryland wide receiver group. You got a ton of guys, a bunch of seniors, Daryl Jones, Brian Cobbs, and Carlos Carrier, who are going to have to really carry the load for Maryland's wide receiver group. But I think the question now, I mean, the wide receiver group used to be Maryland's deepest position. I think that was a known thing with Demas and Jayshon Jones and Rakim Jarrett leading the way. But now, just outside of Jarrett, that trio of wide receivers will really have to step into a bigger role. And I wrote about this in my article today. I'm not really sure that they are going to be able to step up and kind of fill those. I mean, how many catches did Jayshon Jones and Dante Dimas combine for each game when they were both healthy? It, must, it was in the double digits. So I don't know if those guys can 
combined to replace that kind of production. I mean, what do you guys think about that situation that Maryland's going through right now, just with the, the wide receiver core? Yeah, Dylan, you said it. Their strongest, their deepest position group has become their thinnest really quickly in a matter of two weeks. And now they're really going to have to like find other ways to produce um, from a pass catching perspective. I mean, Rakim Jared is a star. He was a five-star recruit coming out. He had a great freshman year. He threw four games this year before, um, before uh, Dante Dimas went down, he had been terrific as well. So, but like the last two games, his production hasn't been that great. He does have a touchdown in three straight games, but even last game against Ohio state before the bye week that was his only catch was that touchdown. So teams are going to be focusing more on him. He's going to get more attention from opposing defenses. And that's and he's going to have to find a way to step up and be be that guy, not just on the field, but lots to talk about off the field from a leader perspective, because that's what they're missing in Dante Demas. So, I mean, a lot of eyes are going to be on Rakim, and we're going to see how he responds. And these, this latter half, of the, this latter second half of the season is going to be really telling for his future, not just in college, but really as a pro, because a lot of eyes are going to be on him. And the other thing is you talked about in your piece today, Dylan, but this it's not just going to come from wide receivers. I mean, Tam Fleet Davis has proven to be a very good pass catcher. You're going to see him in more of those situations coming out of the backfield, catching balls, and also Chig and the tight end position. I think him and Talia have developed a good chemistry and a good relationship, not just in the red zone, but all over the field, where that's what Talia is going to have to rely on as a come as a, like a, a security blanket when he gets in tough situations is Chig in the middle of the field. So it's, it's going to be tough for Talia and tough for this offense to be as explosive as everyone expected to be coming to the year without uh, Deshaun Jones and Dante Dimas. But they're going to have to find ways to produce if they're going to put up the numbers they need to from an offensive perspective to, to compete the rest of the season and get, get to those six wins at least. Yeah, I completely agree. I'd say it's definitely not just going to be the wide receiver group that's going to have to step up and kind of fill this void. I don't think necessarily that the current receiving group can do it on their own. I do think that they're going to have to look a lot more to kind of the veteran leadership that they have in, you know, Chig as well as Tayon Fleet Davis, who have both proven to be really great assets for this Maryland offense. And kind of looking forward, it'll be really interesting to see you know, how many catches these guys are getting going forward and the way that they are distributing the ball and the, how the play calling is going to go. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how often, I guess, um, someone like Rakim Jarrett, who's going to be a um, heavily sought after guy on the offense in terms of for opposing defenses, how Maryland's offense is going to adapt to that and really just utilize all of the other kind of tools that Talia is going to have in terms of his tight ends and his running backs. Right. And if you, if you look at it from like another team's perspective, if you're just looking at the Maryland roster, you're thinking, okay, let, if we lock up Rakim Jarrett, all of a sudden this Maryland offense becomes that much less explosive than it was previously. I mean, Jarrett, he's always been a good player for Maryland. He's had seven receiving touchdowns in his first 10 games as a Terp. I can't believe that he's only played 10 games. And same goes with uh, Talia. He, I mean, he's probably at the same amount as Rakim or one less, I believe. But I mean, Rakim, he's such a speedy guy for Maryland and he just opens the field so much more. So if he's shut down, it's just a whole dimension of this offense that also gets shut down along with that. So I don't know if he's, if he doesn't get going, then you turn to the next three guys behind him in the wide receiver group. And it's not a lot of proven guys. It's a lot of guys with um, year experience. They're all seniors. However, not a lot of game experience. And I'm just not sure that they can replace that kind of production. 
And now I get, I mean, just look. I was just going to say, I was going to say the other thing is it's not just going to have to be from the, th- um, from the uh, passing game. I mean, this is going to have to turn into a balanced offensive attack and they're going to have to produce on the ground. I mean, last week against Ohio state, and it's tough to compare them to compare everything to that Ohio state game because that's one of the best teams in the country, but they only on both ends of the ball, but they only had, um, they had 36 rushes for 56 attempts. I mean, that is horrible production from the backfield. And there's no way that they're going to be able to open up the offense, especially without their two of their top receivers in the mix, open up the offense when the, the ground game and the running game just isn't there. So they're going to have, and that's going to be Townsley Davis. It's going to be Penny Boone. Um, it's going to be a, a mixture of a bunch of guys because it's a split backfield back there. But they're going to have to produce in the running game to allow Talia to open up. And the running game is part. That's part of Talia's game too. I mean, he's a dual threat quarterback, so you're gonna you're gonna have to see design runs for him. Maybe when the pocket collapses, him take off with his legs. But if the running game's not established and established early, really, they're gonna have a serious problem on offensively on in the passing game too. They'll definitely have a big problem if they can't get that running game going. And it's you know it's gonna be such an interesting game because this is the first game in a while considering that the last two games were blowouts and didn't really match the game script at all for, you know, Maryland's running backs to really do much any or anything productive throughout the game. But going back, I think you have to go all the way back to West Virginia, where you see an opponent that's not a Illinois, Kent State, or Howard, where it's not – you don't expect it to be a blowout, like against an Iowa or Ohio State, but a game against a Minnesota and Indiana and Rutgers, those are all going to be very tight games. And so – I think you can look towards a game against West Virginia as to what Maryland is going to try to do against a team like Minnesota, who's closer talented-wise. I mean, Maryland's going to try to control as much of the clock as they can, I think, in this one coming up against Minnesota. And to do that, you need to get the ground game going. And it's something that they haven't been able to do uh, for it to be really meaningful, is what I'm trying to say. Like, you can rush the ball as many times as you want when you're down 40. And obviously, the, the defense is going to be expecting the pass. So... Those, I mean, it just doesn't mean as much when you're down by so much in those last two games. So the running game is going to mean more than ever coming into this one. And it's going to be really telling for how Maryland's game plan is going to look for the rest of the season, considering that with all the injuries on offense, I mean, we're really going to get a good sense of how they're going to kind of spread out, spread the ball around on offense. And I think one player that I think is going to start getting the ball a little more, I know Loxley mentioned it, during uh, Tuesday, during Tuesday's media session, he said Penny Boone looked really good in practice. And Penny Boone is just over six foot. He's huge at over 245 pounds, an in-your-face kind of runner. I would not be surprised to see him get six, seven, eight touches against a Minnesota team that has a really good rush defense. And if Maryland's going to w- want to pound the ball, they're going to have to go to some of their bigger backs. And despite Teon Fleet Davis being a, an efficient runner for the first four games of the season, not so much as of late, I think you're going to have to go with your bigger guys. You're going to have to – he's going to have to rely on a Penny Boone more than a Teon Fleet Davis, specifically in the ground game. Obviously, in the receiving game, Fleet Davis has that edge. But I think Penny Boone's a guy to expect to see get a few more touches coming. And then the, la- the last thing I was going to say real quick is it's going to be interesting to see how creative Dan Enos – gets with his play calling. I mean, they're going to have to open up the field somehow and create opportunities besides their standard play calls, especially with all the injuries that they have and a lot of unknowns um, through these next six games. So I'm just, I'm just going to be interested in how Danny knows um, opens up the offense with his creative play call. 
Yeah, this game in particular is going to be pretty telling to see how Maryland adapts just in general and how different this program really is from kind of past programs. I think we've been hearing all season and I think that the fans are getting the or we're getting the message as well, at least at the beginning, that this is a different Maryland team than we've seen in the past in terms of, you know, what kind of the buy-in that's there with this team. And, you know, this team sitting at four and two is something that I think ever, all of them would have hoped for. And these two blowout losses against Ohio State and Iowa maybe aren't so telling. I mean, Loxley had said, we talked about this last week, that, you know, the team is just not at the standard or at the place of these top 10 teams in the nation yet, and that's okay. But when you look at this game against Minnesota, it's a much more even math, matchup. Coming off the bye, responding to these two losses, kind of seeing, you know, what Maryland's offense can do, what Maryland's defense can do, honestly, with all these injuries and seeing how that they can adapt. It's really telling to see if they kind of can put all of that conversation and all of that drive and motivation that they seem to have into action and into, you know, converting that into points and ultimately winning a conference matchup again. And let's just look into that a little deeper into that Minnesota matchup coming up on the 23rd, 3.30 PM. It'll be on ESPN two. And apparently Maryland, Minnesota, you know, ESPN loves those games because Maryland played Minnesota last year in College Park without fans during the COVID season. And that was a pretty wild game. I remember where I was for that one. Maryland won 45 to 44. I, I think I watched a replay of that game recently. But the missed extra point at the end of the game sealed the deal for Maryland in that one. That was a crazy one. Back in 2020, Maryland came back down from 17 points, which was, I believe, the, the largest comeback in program history in the final quarter. So, yeah, I believe so, yeah. So uh, that was a great game for Maryland. A lot of familiar faces from last year. They're going to be competing in this week's game. Uh, Tugger Varloa had 394 passing yards last year. Jay Sean Jones, 103 reception, reception yards. And Jake Funk had 221 rushing yards. So that was one of his monster games. And so a lot of familiar faces on these ends, you know, from that game. I mean, it was a crazy game. But now Minnesota sitting with a 4-2 and two record. They beat. Miami of Ohio, Colorado, Purdue, and Nebraska are sitting with the same record as Maryland entering this game. And they've been an up-and-down team. They had that confusing loss to Bowling Green. But, I mean, what do you guys expect out of this Minnesota team at home coming against Maryland? Well, Minnesota Minnesota is one of the teams that Maryland has actually dominated in the Big Ten in recent years, and there's really very few of them. It's probably the only one. But, I mean, they've won uh, four of the, three of the last four meetings against Minnesota, including that 2020 matchup last year you just talked about, Zone. And that was an absolute thriller. For me, that was really uh, Talia's, like, breakout game. Like, all right, this guy can be really, really good and compete at a really high level in college football, not just because of the numbers he put up. He put that up um, a couple times last year and a few, a few times this year, just those monster numbers. But it was really the poise he showed in that seven – they were down 17, like you said, and they came all the way back and won – on a missed extra uh, missed extra point. Yeah, it was a missed extra point, I believe, in overtime by Minnesota. So it was an unbelievable game and an incredible win for Maryland. Um, as they as they come up this year, I mean, you're right, Minnesota's been an up-and-down team, but as of late, that this is, they've been pretty good. I mean, they, they beat Nebraska last week as underdogs. Um, so they've been a good team. I mean, this is a team that has a bounce off um, offensive attack. They run the ball. Tanner Morgan's pretty good as a quarterback. But I'm not really sure what to expect from this team. It's kind of two unknowns just from this game. I mean, it's kind of two unknowns, and I don't really know which way it's going to get. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, both teams are experiencing injuries in key positions that were supposed to be strengths for them. I mean, you see Maryland in the wide receiver position, but Minnesota's having similar issues in their running back position. And so I think it's kind of hard to really, I think this matchup is going to look different than maybe people may have thought, you know, coming into it. But I think it's fitting that this game is coming after, yes, the bye week, but also after the two losses that Maryland had, because that performance that um, Maryland and Talia had last year against Minnesota was a bounce back, come back, like, hello world performance after a loss. And this is, you know, people, the conversation was around like, oh, can Ohio State be that bounce back game? But when you look at playing, playing Ohio State isn't also different from playing Iowa for this Maryland team in terms of talent level. So I think this game is kind of the more telling game in terms of being a little bit more um, evenly matched in terms of talent. And Sam, you touched upon it. Like Minnesota is a team that Maryland has had some good luck against in the Big Ten these last few years. And I, it, I think it's hard to know what to predict simply because both teams look really different than they were supposed to in terms of, you know, who their largest talent is and who they have available. But I think playing at Minnesota and kind of being in that environment um, will be another another road game for Maryland. And, you know, the energy level could be there. Minnesota could be able to pull it out. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I was real quick. I was blanking on the team that um, Minnesota beat the week before Nebraska, but it was it was Purdue. They beat yeah. Purdue thirty. I mean, twenty to thirteen. And obviously, it's the Purdue team that's now ranked and went and beat I last week. So Minnesota is they're a good team, I and mean, it's not going to be like I mean they're favored by five and a half for a reason. A lot of that is because they're at home, but this should be a great game. And Minnesota's a, a, a good team that's playing much better football right now. Right. That's something that I've kind of overlooked is that win over Purdue back on October 2nd, you said at 20 to 13, holding Purdue to 23 points after I believe is, what was it, 24 to 7? That Minnesota, I mean, that uh, Purdue beat Iowa by, upset mm-hmm. them by. So, I mean, uh, that win all of a sudden becomes, you know, there's a, a, a light shown directly on it because of how significant it is now. So that's a big win for Minnesota moving forward. But for everybody in the Big Ten, it's just one big race to six wins. And Maryland's recent success against Minnesota, you know, you got to look at that just a little. And hopefully, you know, Maryland can compete despite being five and a half point underdogs. But this Minnesota team, let's just look at this offense for a second. They have a really good rushing offense. uh, Lauren, you touched on how there's a lot of injuries that we will go to in a minute. But I want to look at that passing offense because it is the worst in the Big Ten. 153 yard 153 passing yards per game. And they're led by Tanner Morgan, the red shirt senior. And he's had somewhat of a questionable season for Minnesota so far, despite them getting four wins in their first six games. Uh, only once he's had over 20 completions in a single game, his seizing high in passing yards is just 209. And that came actually last game against uh, Nebraska. And he also has four interceptions this season. So he's, he's been kind of just a placeholder at the quarterback position, it seems like. Their entire offense goes through the ground game. And, I mean, the question becomes because Maryland's secondary has been beat the last two games, despite being injured, despite all the excuses that Maryland could possibly have for giving up 50-plus points in two consecutive games. Their secondary has been absolutely torched. Is They're finally getting a good matchup with this Minnesota team. Is this – Finally, the game that we see uh, a vintage Nick Cross and Tarheeb still a uh, superhero duo in the secondary and Maryland finally holds an opponent to under 50 points. I think that could, I think that could be reasonable. But do you think that 
this is a bounce back game for Maryland's defense as a whole. Yeah, well, first, just about Minnesota's offense. I mean, Tanner Morgan, not just this year, but it seems his entire career has been really inconsistent. You don't know the kind of performance you're going to get from. I mean, last week against Nebraska, he was pretty good and he kind of led them. But obviously, they rely on the ground game. I mean, Trey Potts is the running back. He has 112 carries in the year, and Tanner Morgan has 114 throws. So that's the kind of balance that they have. And Trey Potts averages 4.9 um, yards per carry. So I mean, they're obviously, a, they run the ball, and that's the strength of their team. So I don't know how much they're going to be able to target Maryland's depleted secondary. We also don't know how depleted it's going to be. Nick Cross is there. Tarheeb still, who isn't getting enough attention as he should because he's still one of the best cornerbacks in the entire Big Ten. Um, and obviously, Ja'Cory Bennett and Kenny Bennett, which Loxley said he's, he's, hope, he's hopeful they can play, but we don't know, and we won't know until game time on Saturday. But so I think, I don't think, that this is an offense that's going to be able to target them because they don't rely too much on the passing game like Ohio State did. But this, at the same time, Iowa didn't either, but they were all over Maryland's, um, Maryland's secondary and beating them on long balls, just, just dominating them really in the passing game, which we didn't expect from an Iowa team that likes to run the ball more. So I'm not sure what you're going to get. If Minnesota puts 50 points or even close to it, I mean, Maryland is <laughs> – I know you're joking down, but Maryland has some serious problems if that's the case. I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're going to see a bounce-back performance from a more healthy Maryland secondary than we've seen in the last couple of weeks, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, well, I think without Trey Potts in the picture anymore this season, I think that similar to how Maryland is forced now with less receivers to kind of do more of the running game and the ground game and all of that, I think that Minnesota is going to be forced to throw the ball a little bit more than maybe they would like to. And considering that's not one of their strengths. And I think when you look at the win over Purdue, Trey Potts played a huge role in that win. I mean, he, he, I believe recorded a touchdown in the game, had a pretty good rushing, pretty good rushing performance as well. So I think the loss of him is detrimental to Minnesota's running game. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, I don't know. I think that they'll test Maryland secondary a little bit more than maybe they've been testing others just based on the lack of resources that they now have on the ground. So I think that'll be interesting to see. I think that you will see more from Nick Cross and Tarheeb still because I think this is going to be a much easier job for them than playing against, you know, C.J. Stroud and Ohio State's offense. I think it's going to be easier for them to kind of infiltrate the passing game here. But, you know, it's ultimately up to see whether they do kind of keep it on the ground or they're forced to, you know, throw it away. And yeah, that's on me. I completely forgot that trade. <laughs> yes, yeah. Trey Potts is after the season. Thank you, Lauren. Yes, Trey Potts. Okay. Trey Potts done for the year, and obviously Ibrahim uh, Muhammad, the star running back, also has been out for the season. So their backfield, similar to Maryland's receiving core, very depleted, very thin. But you know, you know Minnesota. I feel as though when you get a, a four and two record, and you're kind of in the middle of the pack of the Big Ten, I think that Minnesota is probably going to stick to what's been successful for them. I would be kind of shocked if they started testing Maryland secondary a little more. I think they are going to try to uh, work the ground game against Maryland. They average nearly 200 rushing yards per game. And I think you can't just abandon that right away. And I think they're going to have to try to go with that game scheme against Maryland and who knows if it'll work. But if, if Minnesota gets the ground game going, I think Maryland's going to be in trouble to some degree. Yeah, well, you had mentioned before, it was against Nebraska that they had their, I guess, best passing performance. And that was, I, if I'm, it was Purdue and then Nebraska. So when you look at kind of, that's them playing without 
you know, their star running backs. And so he had a better performance passing because he was forced to pass the ball. So I don't necessarily know if they'll completely change their game plan per se, because, you know, you still play to your strengths, even if maybe your strongest players aren't there. But I do think, I really do think that their secondary will be tested a little bit more. I tested less than they've been in past weeks, of course, but I think they will. I, I do think Minnesota is going to be throwing the ball. And Minnesota's rush defense is second to only Wisconsin with only giving up 86.8 rushing yards to opponents per game. So Maryland's going to have a tough time running the ball. You expect, we talked about a few running backs already, Penny Boone, Teon Fleet Davis, uh, Chalen Famatau. I, I've never gotten that pronunciation right. However, I mean, Maryland's going to have to try to go back to the ground game against this rush defense. But Heading into this game, you know, do you think that Maryland's going to be forced to throw the ball as they have in the last few games? And if so, I mean, Minnesota has a bottom half passing defense ranked in the in the Big Ten. You know, is is this a good game for Tagovailoa to get back on track with his? It's not like he played poorly against Ohio State, not nearly as uh, the performance that he gave against Iowa. But do you think he gets back on track with this? Does he throw for over 300 yards? I think that's a question that I think should be pondered going into this game. You know, I think he's, I, I think he's bound to throw over 300 yards in this game, considering that Maryland's probably not going to find much success on the ground. I think that, well, at first, I think that throwing for 300 yards and getting back on track, not necessarily the same thing, because he can get back on track without throwing for yeah, 300 yeah. yards. For me, it looks more like, the ball over and better decision making because that's really the biggest thing for him um i do think it's a game to get back on track i think you saw the start of that against ohio state he put some really great drives together um some finished in scores others didn't but there were still good drives and those two interceptions at the end of the game were kind of down big need to try to make a big play didn't work out so i think that's the big thing to look for is can he limit the interceptions against a worse defense um in minnesota not a bad defense but a worse than they've than they've seen the past two weeks and then also um like it's really about the running game i mean i do think they're going to rely on the passing game but will they be able to establish that running game early and do they trust it and right now there's no reason to believe that they're going to have any trust in the running game so i think they're going to rely heavily on the pass so there's a so there's very it's very reasonable for him to rack up uh for talia to rack up that many yards and get over in 300 and a few touchdowns to show for it but I do, I do expect a bounce back game from. Yeah, I expect a bounce back game. I think the over 300 yards is tricky because he doesn't have all those same weapons that he had there at the beginning of the season when he was consistently throwing over 300 yards. But it's kind of all dependent on whether this, you know, they had the, Maryland had the bye to kind of try and figure out how to work the passing game. We have to assume that that's part of what they were doing this past or what they've been thinking about since, you know, losing two of their top receivers. So I think, you know, Maryland had a little bit of a dropping problem also in some of these games towards um, the beginning. And I think there were a couple drops in um, Ohio State and Iowa as well. So I think if the receivers and, you know, can hold on to the ball and can, you know, make the plays and the catches that Talia is throwing, I think he can throw over 300 yards. We've seen him do it before. We saw him most definitely do it last year against this Minnesota team, different teams this year, of course, but we, we've seen him do it. We've seen him do it before. We've seen him do it in a bounce back esque fashion. So I think it's possible, but it's tricky to say it definitely. I think if he had Dante Dimas and Jay Sean Jones in there, I think I would say most definitely because um, 
especially Dante Dimas gets the job done for him in terms of, you know, making those long explosive plays. But, you know, if Rakim, if Rakim Jarrett can kind of break out, if those Titans can be there for maybe some of those longer passes that they don't always do, like, I think it definitely can be a game where we see him throw over 300 yards again. Yeah, I think so. I think that there's definitely a chance that he throws over 300. I think there's also a chance that he doesn't commit a turnover for the first time in a few games. I believe, yeah, he did throw a pick at Kent State as well. So, and I don't think he threw one at Illinois. So it would be the first time since the Illinois game that uh, he hadn't committed turnover. So, you know, looking ahead at this game right now, let's give some players to watch. I think that's I think that's what we're going to go ahead right now. So I think I will go first. And I thought about this one before, and I couldn't really choose on a specific player. So I'm going to go with that clump of senior trio wide receivers of Daryl Jones, Brian Cobbs, and Carlos Carrier. It's going to be critical for one of them or two of them to have decent games. And it'll be – I mean, it should be a challenge for them to step up as a possible number two wide receiver, number three wide receiver. It will help Maryland greatly if – two of them stepped up and kind of fit into those roles well. And it, if we see a growing trust between some of those wide receivers and Tagovailoa, then this offense is probably going to improve even more considering there's a lot of new faces out there. But I would just keep an eye on the guys behind Rockham Jared, Rockham Jared in the wide receiver group to see what they do against Minnesota, especially against not as good as the secondary is that they will face for in some games in the remainder of the season. I have the same position group, but the number one guy is my guy to player to watch for Kim Joe, because I think a lot of everything's on him. From, I mean, obviously, it's a team effort. You want those other guys to get involved, but he needs to step up in a huge way in the absence of Dante Demas. And I'm looking, can he have a huge game for the first time since Dante's been out and now Deshaun's been out? How will his and uh, Talia's um, chemistry and relationship on the field develop the way that the connection that Dante Demas and Talia had was was unmatched. But can Rakim and Talia develop that? Not just for this season, but for the rest the rest of the way and next season. Um, so that that's something to watch for me. And I think this is the game to do it. I mean, we talked about Minnesota's secondary isn't the best. So now now's the time. If there's going to be a time for Rakim to have some sort of breakout game for him to develop um, some type of great connection with Talia. Um, also on offense is my player to watch, but mine is definitely Chig. I think that we have talked about him so many times this season as kind of being, whether that's like an X factor or just kind of a player to watch. And, you know, he's going to continue to break out and we're watching the chemistry between him and Talia continue to build on the field, but also in availability. And on Tuesdays, we also hear about how kind of off the field it's continuing to build as well. Um, I think that um chig is someone who kind of at least seemingly to the media exudes almost this really positive high energy and i think talia really appreciates that about him and seems to be able to kind of drive off of that off the field and then when they get on the field you know he's been having some pretty solid performances and i think now if if the wide receiver group can't deliver the way that hopefully you know maryland's hoping that they should he's going to continue to step up and you know, it's a position group that had a lot of question marks coming into the season. He didn't play last season. Once again, he has that kind of extra drive in him to kind of have this senior season, have this season where he's playing fantastically. And I do think he's definitely someone to watch in this matchup because I think that, you know, I think a lot of eyes will be on players like Rakim. All right. So according to us, the only thing you need to watch is the offense in the passing game. So keep an eye out for all those pass catchers and we'll see 
how Maryland does in the passing game. So now I guess we can go to our other favorite part of the show, predictions. I love predictions, and I'm ready to give mine. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be very similar. I don't know why, but I think it's going to be similar to that 45-44 game back in 2020. These two teams play each other very well, and I'm going to go with 37-34 to Maryland. Interesting. Yes, um, yeah, you know, I'm making it interesting this week. You can't have you can't have these dry predictions anymore. Got to got to spice it up a little with the close games. Okay. Well, we've been pretty off in terms of the score predictions, but to our credit, to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, we we've gotten the the game prediction in terms of who's going to win, pretty spot on all year. Um, I think I'm I'm going to go a little different though. I'm think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to come down to that field goal, that maybe a missed extra point, maybe even overtime. But I think. Minnesota is going to win on a game-winning field goal, 30-27. to 27. I have a pretty close score also. I think Minnesota will also score 30 points, but I think Maryland scores three more, and they win by the field goal. So I think 33-0. I think – 33-30, I mean. I think that <laughs> Maryland um, needs this game for their own personal kind of rebuilding that they've been doing. To come out of the bye to win the game to advance to five and two would be really big for this program beyond this game. And I think that they'll have the drive to do it. So yeah, 33-30, Maryland. Okay. Just from a yeah. Just from a big picture perspective. I mean, these next two weeks are the most pivotal weeks in the season. They need to yeah. win one game because after they have maybe not in the exact order, but they have uh, Penn State, Michigan State. It is yeah, Penn State, Michigan State, and then Michigan. So those or, I mean, those would be mere coincidence if they could win any of those three all top 10 teams. So these next two weeks against Minnesota and then Indiana, which is at home, those are incredibly pivotal weeks. I think they're going to win one of them, and we'll see how they go this week. But my uh, initial inclination is to say they're going to lose to Minnesota on the road but beat Indiana at home. Right. But we'll Maryland, see. Maryland football, you know, there's always some letdown somewhere. So I, I expect the letdown to happen in the Indiana game when they're probably going to be favored coming out of this Minnesota game, no matter how it ends up. So two on Maryland this week. Sam's the only one on Minnesota. And I think that'll wrap it up for our football talk. And we had, we had some basketball news this week. We are rapidly approaching basketball season. First exhibition game for the Maryland men's basketball team is November 5th. Season starts November 9th. Women's basketball also starts November 9th. So season's only a few weeks away. We're really getting to that. That crossover suit between football and basketball should be really fun. And the AP preseason poll rankings came out for the top 25. I guess we could start with the – let's start with the women because they were ranked at the number four spot. And they are returning one of the best teams in the nation. I thought they may have clipped the number three spot, but I, last year they are always pushed down in that AP poll. So not too surprising to see them at the number four spot. But once again, Brenda Freeze bringing in one of the top teams in the nation. And, boy, are they going to be fun to watch this year. So what's everybody's just initial thoughts about, about those rankings and just about the team that's coming into the season? Yeah, well, they are going to be really tough to watch. A number four, top five team in the country. I mean, really fun to watch. And number four, top five uh, team in the country is deservedly so because they're bringing back all five starters. Plus, they have, we don't know if Mimi Collins or Angel Reese is going to be starting, but whoever's coming off the bench is certainly worthy of a starting spot. So their top six is, is really – and then Faith as a seventh spot. They're, they're really incredible. Um, it's really it's hard to say this for a college team, but it feels like a championship or bust this year. I mean, they're going to have a bunch of their players leaving who took that extra year they had because of COVID eligibility and came back because they wanted to build on on their upset loss to Texas last year in the tournament. 
Um, so, I mean, it's really – it's championship robust this year, and it's hard to say for a team, but Brenda Fries knows it based on the schedule she put together. She doesn't want some schedule when they're beating teams by 20 to 30 points a game. She wants to be battle-tested for March. And the Big Ten's really good this year. Um, Iowa's probably the second-best team in the Big Ten, but she put together South Carolina, Baylor, um, I believe NC State, and a couple others. Those are the top 10 teams in the country. I mean, they're going to be, whether they win or lose those games, they're going to be ready for March, and they're not getting upset this year in the Sweet 16 like they did last year. Yeah, and I think, I mean, beyond returning their top five, six, seven, whatever, they're returning every single player on that roster except for Alasia Styles, who transferred out of the program. She's the only transfer from last year. And then Zoe Young, who made the transition into more of a uh, student managerial role after dealing with some injuries. Plus, they have these two new additions and Emma Chardona and um, Cheyenne Sellers, who just came in, who are also supposed to or projected to make kind of a big impact for them. So I don't disagree with you that they're going to have a fantastic season. And I think when we look at that, it was ridiculous because I feel like last year when we were covering the team and we were watching and we were doing things, they somehow had an underdog mentality, despite being the top one, um, top scoring offense in the country. And part of that was, you know, they get the number two seed in the tournament and it's almost like that they should have gotten one and Dylan you said it before you thought maybe they could have clipped that number three seed I think I think coach Freeze probably prefers it this way I think she she likes kind of having that edge and that, that's why she scheduled all these tougher games I think last season they were building their edge and she's returning essentially the exact same team from top down and it's kind of I think in her mind time for them to showcase that you know, it's not just in the tournament where they're going to be seeing these teams, but like, let's just start off our schedule strong and see, you know, I think for her, it's either like they win the games and they make a huge statement and then they go into big 10 play, which isn't going to be a cakewalk either. I mean, the big 10 is relatively strong, but you know, win these teams and then go into the rest of conference play, or it's like you drop some of these games, gives you a little bit of extra drive and edge, and then you go see them in the tournament and you beat them then. So I think, you know, there's a lot of excitement heading into this season. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, I think they're a team that produces at such a consistent level year after year. But I think this year, between last season and the season, we're going to see so much consistency, given just that it's virtually the exact same roster and the strongest players are returning. Yeah, Lauren, you talked about the, like uh, an underdog mentality that they had all last season. And that was really like they didn't have a tournament the year before. And maybe a lot was that because of the rankings this year. But the rankings don't matter to them when it comes to that this year. Because they have a natural chip on their shoulder. I mean, those emotions of getting upset when they had much higher expectations in the tournament last year, but that's just going to be with them all year, and that's going to carry them through the year and motivate them. So they have a natural chip on their shoulder. Wherever they're ranked, they don't, they don't even need that, that, to, that. We don't even need that to provide them that extra motivation and underdog mentality. Well, also last season, they had come into the season losing all of their starters. They're in a completely different boat this year. I mean, the transfer portal – really did some work for them or they I mean they lost a bunch of key uh, coach Reese lost a bunch of key players to the transfer portal but I mean gaining um Katie Benson in the transfer portal um she ended up Alasia Styles, who went back into the transfer portal who played for a little bit but Chloe Bibby is from the transfer portal and Chloe and Katie have made a huge impact for this team and so I think last year part of that mentality was people thought maybe Maryland it was going to be a rebuilding year almost for this Maryland team but I mean jokes on them it seems because it was they had some year, and I think now coming in, they don't even need to do any of the rebuilding. They just went back into practicing with a group of girls who have already played together and played pretty solid. I mean, getting upset 
in that round of the NCAA tournament definitely upset them. I think they weren't expecting that early exit, but you know, that's the chip on the shoulder this year is leaving early. And just looking at the transfer portal, I mean, it's so interesting how both men's and women's teams, they got players that complement what they had so well. I mean, you look at the men's team, Kudus Wahab and Fats Russell, I mean, they, they'll fit right into the starting five right away. Obviously, we'll get into them in a minute. But then you look at a player like Chloe Bibby and a player like Katie Benzin. I mean, who better could complement a, a possible All-American and Ashley Owusu, who's average who basically averages a double double a game and can do it all for Maryland on the offensive end defensive end and then you throw in Diamond Miller who can basically do the same exact things as Ashley Awusu she could score she could pass she could drive I mean this this lineup of Awusu and Miller Bibby Benzin and then you still have Angel Reese and Mimi Collins who are uh, doing the dirty work in the paint I mean there are no holes on this roster whatsoever they're going to they likely going to be a one seed it'd be hard to imagine them not and they're bringing back the top scoring offense in the nation I mean they are just ridiculous how good they are and as watching them this year you simply just can't take them for granted because I don't know if you're ever going to see a good of a team for women's basketball as what they have right now so uh, women's basketball team ranked number four in the AP top 25 preseason poll they're going to make a ton of noise this year so really looking forward to that season and then on the other side of the, of the coin, you got number 21, Maryland men's basketball coming into that ranking. I thought that was a little low. They're behind a few Big Ten teams, but what are your guys' initial thoughts on that ranking? Too high, too low? Because my initial thought is that I thought they were going to be around 17 or 18. Yeah, I don't think it's – like, I think it's around the right range. I mean, Ken Palm had them at 18. The AP poll came out the next day at 21. Um, it's around where they should be. I mean, they're certainly a top 25 team. Just looking at it from the Big Ten um, picture, I think they were behind some teams that they should have been. I think Illinois is incredibly overrated wow. this year with a lot of question marks. They have a lot of made of their, their shooting prowess, which is supposed to be coming in. But I, I'm not really going to say I believe that in, until I see it. Okay. But So I think they're a little, they're a little overrated. Um, I think Maryland's going to compete in the Big Ten as like a legitimate championship contender. They'll be able to compete with the Purdue's and Michigan, who are better from talent level. But the big thing about Maryland this year is just the experience. I mean, very few teams can say they have a Kudus Wab at center who's played years of college basketball. Fat Russell, split, Fat, Fats Russell's played years of college basketball. Eric Ayala, senior. Um, Dante, Dante Scott and Hakeem Hart entering the third year. I mean, that entire starting lineup, plus a few, few transfers, transfer guys on the bench who have a few years under the belt, that's a ton of experience in a way that Michigan has a bunch of freshmen coming in. They can't say – um, Ohio State doesn't have that type of experience, and that's really going to help them because it wasn't it wasn't like just random that these transfers came in. It was it was for a good reason that they came in. They saw they saw a void that they they wanted to fill that the coaching staff wanted them to fill, and they meshed really well together. So I think this Maryland team it's around where I expect them to rank, but I think early on in the year they're going to be they're going to surprise some teams and move and move up those polls. And they're a really talented team that's going to compete for the Big Ten this year and get a higher seed in the tournament than maybe people even expect. Yeah, and I mean, Sam, you touched upon experience. It's experience and chemistry seem like, you know, the name of the game for Maryland men's basketball this year. And it's not only on the court, but also the coaching staff has a pretty um, unbelievable, like, breadth of experience, I guess. And, you know, you have um, Turgeon, who's been with the program for a long time now, and you have Matt Brady, who's been with the program for the past five years, who, you know, really works with players. We've 
Um, heard about the way he worked with Akeem Hart to kind of help him kind of readjust his shot, which looks completely different now. And then you have Danny Manning, who just came in. So like new to the program, but definitely not new to the college basketball scene or basketball in general. And um, uh, as well, they also just brought in Bruce Shingler, who's coach at South Carolina, but he has seemed to fit right into the program as well. So I think having this chemistry, the team having chemistry, the coaching staff having chemistry, everyone kind of sharing this common goal of wanting to be a real contender in the Big Ten and in the, you know, in, in Division One basketball as a whole, you definitely see it there. There's that energy. I, I use the word energy a lot, but I guess you kind of feel this energy that, you know, they really do want to be a contender, but it's not just want they put in the work. I mean, we talked about this last week, but players have physically changed their bodies to become more of a contender, to become stronger players. They put in the commitment. And I think, you know, the number 120 ranking, I think it is what it is. I think it's, it'll be more telltale once they start playing, whether they're moving up or down, whether like that's a significant spot for them. But I think that I agree with you, Sam, that I think they will shock some teams toward the beginning and kind of slide them up relatively quickly. And I think you look at um, comparing it to this women's team, like you were saying before, Dylan, the way that they utilize the transfer portal is going to work so well for them. And I think when we went to open practice for and media day the other day, what stood out to me, I wasn't necessarily surprised, is, is that there doesn't seem to be like a fracture or divide between these new players or these players who have been together. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the chemistry that they've been building and the emphasis this coaching staff has put on it. A lot of them have played together before, which we've talked about as well. But I do think just, you know, this could be kind of a similar season as to, you know, having a new starting five for Maryland, maybe losing some of um, their key players, you know, losing Aaron Wiggins, I guess, from who went to the NBA. You look at the women's team last year, lost the full starting five, lost some players who people said they couldn't necessarily contend without. You have this team now for the men who are kind of in a similar position where definitely don't have a chip on their shoulder. I mean, but, you know, kind of a little bit of an edge. And, and the other thing is that Turgeon had a pretty funny quote at the, the press conference last week. He was like, I'm a pretty blessed guy. I'm, I'm bound to make a blessed run in the tournament. If he really is a blessed guy, I mean, this is the year. This is like a make or break year kind of for him. This is one of the best teams he's had in a long time in terms of talent and experience. And that combination. And when you look at the roster next year with all the guys that are going to leave, Eric Ayala won't be there. Fats Russell, Kudaswab won't be there. We'd be shocked if Dante Scott's there. They're going to be really young, inexperienced. They only have one recruit locked down for next year, committed the other week as a four-star. Um, so this is really, like, if this run is going to happen for Turgeon to get past the Sweet 16 for the first for the first time ever with Maryland, it, it, this is the year for that's going to happen. So I know he signed that contract, so he's secure. He's not, like, doesn't need to feel the pressure. But this is a seriously make-or-break year for, the, for Turgeon. Yeah, and Lauren, you talked about the team coming in with kind of this underdog mentality, and they're starting to finally realize that they are they have the lineup to be contenders. And if you just look at last year, last year's lineup, I mean, they went nine eleven in conference play, and I think a lot of people saw that as a major, major success. Seventeen and fourteen overall with a pretty incomplete lineup, and all of a sudden you had Fats Russell and and Q, who that's what Turgeon likes to call uh, Q to uh, Wahab. And, I mean, all of a sudden, this Maryland team has significant improvement in the low post. And I just from watching the games last year, I wasn't covering the team, just watching as a, you know, as a casual person. But, I mean, they lost a few games single-handedly simply because they did not have interior defense. I mean, that's 
that's why they lost some games last year. And now you have a true defender and a low post scorer in Kudus Wahab. I think that it's going to make leaps, leap and bounce, leaps. This team is going to make leaps and bounce, you know, and whatever that saying is. So this Maryland team, number 21 in the projections in the, the AP preseason poll, and then Maryland women's basketball, number four. So basketball is doing pretty well in College Park heading into the 21 season. And I think that'll just about do it for this Testudo Times podcast. We had a pleasure talking about the Maryland matchup against Minnesota this Saturday and touching up on both basketball teams. So we will get back to you guys next week after Maryland takes on Minnesota on the road as the Terps try to hit six wins. So thank you so much for listening, and we will get back to you with the next episode next Wednesday.